poetry organisation that started in 2018 as a monthly open mic in a pub. Since then, we've received local and national funding and worked with various organisations and producers, including Apples and Snakes and Mothers Who Make, to create live events and workshops. Our goal is to bring more spoken words to Exeter and to get people engaged in poetry in a way that's accessible and empowering and fun. Sorry, hello, I'm eating Cheerios. Um, <clears throat> hi, welcome to Spork. Uh, this is Spork, it's our poetry podcast, it's our second one. Thanks for tu- popping in, tuning in, popping by. Um, right, let's get on with it, because I haven't got all day. Um, we've got a couple of poets coming up, they're really good. First up is Robert Garnham. Oh, hello there. Robert Garnham here. Professor of Whimsy. Just got three little poems here for you. And this first one goes exactly like this. Flick the switch, the bulb goes ping. A sudden glare from deep within. An atmosphere dulled can take your stamp. Whether standard or table, you're an excellent lamp. That was just a bit of light verse. This next one is called Poem. What altitude are we? I asked the pilot. Go back and sit down, he replied. Leave this to me. We rose up high over Newton Abbott. I could just make out the A-boards outside the coffee shops. What's our cruising speed? I asked the pilot. None of your business, he replied. Let me worry about the cruising speed. I went and sat down. And the cabin crew served strawberries. They were succulent. I consumed a couple and then threw one of them at the pilot. He said, what kind of idiot throws strawberries at a pilot at 30,000 feet and a cruising speed of 800 knots. Aha, I said. Damn, he replied, and he closed his door. And this is called Poem. You gave me a lift home, but you had a yak in the back of the car. I wanted to tell you how much I loved you. But you had a yak in the back of the car. I said, pull over to the hard shoulder. I've got yak slobber on my shoulder. It's hard to whisper sweet nothings with yak slobber on my shoulder. And you had a yak in the back of your car. I'd planned all day to reveal my love 
and make plans for our life together. But when you pulled into the station forecourt, you had a yak in the back of your car. My hopes and dreams lay as tattered as the rancid fleur on the flanks of the yak, the yak in the back of your car. We went to the McDonald's drive through We both had chicken McNuggets and the yak had a Big Mac. In the long silence that followed as you drove, I slurped Pepsi Max and the yak kept farting. The evening was not as romantic as I'd hoped. I'd built up the night as being the one. But the only intimacy I got was the yak resting its big chin on the top of my head. Its stubbly beard and pungent aroma somehow reminding me of my Aunt Mavis. At the traffic lights, some youths pulled up next to us and yelled, Hey, that thing belongs in a zoo. And the yak shouted back, He's the only one who can drive. You got out of the car to pay at the service station. I tried to make small talk with the yak. I couldn't get anything out of it. For an animal called a yak, it didn't talk very much. And just as I was telling it how much I loved you, it threw up on my lap. We snuck into a late-night bar, you and me and the yak in a wig. But it got mistaken for Boris Johnson, and we had to get the hell out of there. As we drove, we sang along to late-night jazz, you and me and the yak in the back, soulfully, its beautiful crooning fogging up the windows with yak breath. And I wanted to say, hey, forget the yak. I've got something to tell you. I love you, and I always have, but I couldn't, what with the yak in the back of your car, who incidentally was the only one there who was even slightly horny. A psychoanalyst might say, we all have yaks, yaks in the backs of our cars, to which I might respond, hey, I'm paying 60 quid an hour for this bollocks, and then, Of a sudden, you whispered, Hey, let's find a hotel and make out. And I replied, What about the you-know-what? And you said, It's an aphrodisiac. Woo! That was Robert Garnham, everyone. Um, probably, if you're listening to this, then you know Robert. But if you don't, then uh, that's, yeah, a little snippet of him, a little sample of some whimsy. Um, and if you want to find out more about what Robert's doing and uh, listen to his, I think he said he's doing a daily podcast. Um, he's also got a blog. He's got loads of videos on his site. It's all at professorofwhimsy.com. Yeah, professorofwhimsy.com uh, for more on Robert. Uh, anyway, that was lovely. Thanks, Robert, for kicking off the show. Uh, next up, we have got... Uh, we played one of her poems last month. She's someone who has come and performed at the open mic at Spork a couple of times. Uh, her name is Deeksha Verenda, and this is one of her poems. 
Hi, I'm Deeksha and this is my poem, Art Movie. Suppose we were there again, by the ocean with the winter air crisp against our thighs, our shoes clutched in hands that no longer held any feeling in their curved skeletons and the sun pooling at the base of your neck, eyes defiant and narrowed against its pains. Suppose I were to remember it as a confession of how my body forgets what it no longer feels, or rather how my body no longer knows anything but the light glinting off your shoulder, the slow ruins of a haunted ribcage learning again to wrap itself around another chest, the water spilled over our bare feet, my breath spilled over your skin. We almost believe that there is something good that can come out of this and us. Suppose we knew how to make it something other than the image of the lover destroyed, to remain the two figures on the sand and entwined. Suppose we did not stumble into that wilting house, its insides carved away by the sea. That was Deeksha Verenda. That was really, really beautiful. Um, and as Deeksha mentioned the sea, I thought I'd put in this little sea soundscape um, because it's quite relaxing for your benefit, really, more than anything, uh, listener. You know, making full use of the audio um, experience here. So, yeah, it's just, hang on a second. Sorry. <laughs> Annoying. Where were we? Oh yeah, okay, right. Um, I want you to relax now. Just breathe and listen to um, this royalty-free ocean soundscape and relax. Because our headliner, I'm very excited to say, is the wonderful Erin Bolands. Erin is a extraordinary poet from Leeds. She has facilitated a bunch of work. She's uh, performed at Glastonbury and won the Glastonbury Slam. Uh, she's done a load of residencies. She's been on them nationwide ads and she's got a new book out published by Burning Eye Books. It's called Alternate Endings and you can get that now by going to Burning Eye. And she's performing for us. Um, I think this is a really, really, really gorgeous piece that she's recorded and sent us. Um, yeah, this is this is an extract from her new book, Alternate Endings, and this is Erin Boland's. Hello, I'm Erin. I'm here to read you a little bit from my new poetry book, Alternate Endings, which has just been published by Burning Eye Books. It has a loose theme of endings and beginnings and where they cross over a little bit. But between the poems, I've also scattered a selection of worries, things that I worry about. And it's also sort of about the domino effect of worry and how one can create another. I've popped them in the book as a bit of a change from the poems and they're scattered throughout it. But I'm going to read them all together here. But of course, you can pause if you need a break. <laughs> I certainly know that feeling. Um, so here are all the sections of Worry Doll from my little book, Alternate Endings. Um, big thanks for listening and to Chris and the Spork team for inviting me to share something. This is Worry Doll. 
I worry about not doing enough exercise, so I go swimming. I worry that because I don't do enough exercise, my swimming is too slow for someone of my age and health and capability. I worry that the lifeguards are judging me. I worry they might suggest ways I can improve my technique. I worry they might ask why I am slow. In case this happens, this has never happened, I decide that I will say I'm recovering from an injury, probably a torn ligament in my shoulder, and that not being able to swim faster is really frustrating. I worry that if I say this, it will lead to questions and conversations around shoulders and ligaments that my limited biology knowledge will not support. If this happens, I will say that I think it was a torn ligament, but I was too busy to get a diagnosis, so I'm just easing myself back into my very sporty life with some gentle swimming triathlon next. I make a mental note to never mention the word triathlon, not even as a joke. There is no scenario that would end well if I ended up having to do a triathlon to prove a point. It would kill me. I worry about my effects on the environment. I decide to stop using tampons and pads. I Google menstruation cups. That's a minefield. There are different sizes and shapes. And I don't know what size or shape my vagina is. I've never really seen it that way. No one has ever told me. It appears important to know how high your cervix is. And I'm not entirely positive. I'm 100% sure which bit the cervix is. I worry I don't know enough about my vagina. I worry my lack of knowledge about my vagina is impacting negatively on the environment. I Google how to find the height of my cervix. I instantly regret that. I worry about my internet browsing history. I always worry about my internet browsing history. I worry that they will scour it after I'm dead and draw false conclusions from the number of times I visit certain people's social media profiles. I worry that if I delete my internet browsing history, it will look like I have something to hide, which I do but it's a slight obsession with what so-and-so is up to or what what's-her-name looks like now, and a semi-genuine belief that I might be able to solve some of the most high-profile missing persons cases with a few sage Google searches, and a few after that, but it's nothing sinister. But if I delete it, it might look like it, mightn't it? So best to leave it. Live with it, die with it. I worry that my housemates are shit at recycling. I worry they will think I am a killjoy if I tell them that they're shit at recycling, even in a nice way. Is there a nice way? I worry about my lack of authority. I worry that my lack of authority is having a negative impact on the environment. I worry I will run out of phone battery, so I take a power bank. I worry that might break, so I take two. I worry someone else might need a power bank but have a different phone, so I take three cables every time I leave the house. Sometimes I worry that they will think I'm strange for having a cable I don't need, so I stop myself from offering my power bank. I worry about how much water or electricity or how many tired hands it took to make my power bank. I think maybe I should learn to read a map and to bloody relax. I worry that my lack of ability to read maps and to bloody relax is having a negative impact on the environment. I worry that people will think I'm just giving to my friends charity fundraising pages to look like a good person, so I do it anonymously. Then I worry that people be wondering why I haven't donated to their charity fundraising pages. I worry about my need to please people. I worry that my need to please people is having a negative impact on charity fundraising. I worry about using the tap if a housemate is showering. I worry about showering in case a housemate needs to use the tap. Sometimes I fill up the washing up bowl and the kettle before I have a shower in case that's what they wanted the tap for. Sometimes I brush my teeth with water from my bottle if a housemate is in the shower. I'm fairly certain that they don't care about either occurrence, but I had to have an interview for the room. 
and anything that requires an interview makes me feel like I'm on probation. It's been three years. I worry about what the postman thinks of me because he almost always catches me in pyjamas. Sometimes I quickly put lipstick on before I open the door so he might think that I'm halfway through getting ready for a very important meeting. Then I worry that he actually thinks I put lipstick on just to open the door, which I did. I worry that the postman thinks I wait for him in lipstick and a bathrobe. I worry about my need to appear important. I worry that my need to appear important is having a negative impact on the postman. I worry about going to the doctors. I worry that I will be either wasting their time or too far gone to help. I worry which clothes I might have to take off. I always wear an elasticated waist to the doctors and a long top. A tunic affair is ideal. If I know I'm going to have to take my bottoms off, I worry about my under the tunic area. I try to work out what will look most like I haven't thought about it. Essentially, I want my under the tunic area to convey to the doctor that I am organised and comfortable and that I definitely haven't prepared it aesthetically for a, the appointment. I never wear lace to the doctors. I want to portray a cool, empowered, relaxed vibe. That isn't an option in the salons or the M&S lingerie department. It'd be easier if the options were bikini, Brazilian, smear test. I worry about my worrying about the under the tunic area. I worry that my under the tunic area is having a negative impact on the NHS. Some things are worth worrying about, briefly. Your worries are proof of your care and your heart and your brain and your life. They are not an altar you must crumble at. Do not assume the cars will stop, look twice. That has always been a good idea. Check your symptoms with a real live person who has done the reading for you, that is good. Use compassion as a compass and don't always feel the need to pack your bag in preparation for every sort of natural disaster every time you leave the house. I am working on those once. I am working at smiling at worry like a naff joke on giving it the same amount of attention that I give advertising or cold callers. I am making lists of things I used to worry about that melted, of things I might do with the time I used to use to worry. I look at these lists and I smile at time's sleight of hand. Then I worry that I've left off something very important. What an amazing piece. Uh, it's, yeah, so, so lovely and cathartic and relatable and funny. I really, 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 I love that. And yeah, I really love Erin's work. I very much recommend that you go and get yourself a copy of uh, her book. Uh, which you can do so by going to Burning Eye Books. What is it? It's burningeye.bigcartel.com is where you can get a copy of the book from. Uh, and you can also find out more about Erin by visiting her site, erinbolands.com. I'm doing this all in one take because I just can't, just haven't got the energy otherwise. Um, so let's press on. What have we got next? Oh yeah, it's me. I've do I'm doing a song. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is a song um, that I made with my friend and musician, Hal Kelly. Um, it's all about having sex with Jesus, so that's a trigger warning, I suppose. Um, yeah, I just thought I'd chuck this in for fun and content. So here you go. This is Jesus Likes You. Yesterday a bloke in a suit came to my door. Big gleaming grin 
written pamphlets He was either Mormon or Samaritan I didn't let him in I'm sorry mate, I'm just not interested I think you might be He was unperturbed He said he had some news And had I heard Jesus likes you What? Jesus likes you You okay. know, I mean he Like, likes you doesn't even know me I know I showed him your okay Cupid profile Okay So what do you think? Uh, I don't know really Does he actually like me? Yeah Well What does he like about me? He says you're down to earth And he likes that Plus he's got a thing for gingers Does he actually? He wants to know the carpets match the drapes um, He wants yeah, to know Wait, it wasn't tonight He doesn't talk about his exes He thinks you're sexy And he likes your pics He wants to know If you're sheared below And have you got a thing for beards He'd like to have you round To dinner if you're keen Do you like Middle Eastern men? Do you like Middle Eastern cuisine? I hear his cookings to die for the last supper party he threw was divine And he hopes you like wine, he's got a nice little full-bodied red He's a wonderful host, he bakes his own bread He'd love to get you round, he'd love to get you into bed He's bound to make you come, he's sort of inside everyone But he'd love to get inside you, really inside you He wants to see more pics, he wants to know if you're on grinder. He wants to know if you ever come He reckons you're a bottom, he's a dumb top Occasionally first, but only for the right kind of person He wants to make you wait, he'll never fail Show you what it's really like to get nailed Show you what it's like to bathe in his eternal light Your slave for just one blissful night of sin To be a savior, swathe you in undying seeds To scream his name, wash his feet He wants to know what time you'd like to meet Should we say eight? Alright, mate that evening Jesus came to pick me up I waited by the door nervously buttoning and unbuttoning my shirt sleeves when he finally arrived he pulled up in a silver Chrysler and walked slowly down my path are you Chris? he asked yes Oh, right. Sorry, is something wrong, Jesus? No, it's just you look a lot better in your pictures. Oh, I'm sorry. No, don't worry. He sighed, it's just good lighting, I suppose. Do you still want it, you know? He was stood in my doorway, his eyes glancing cursorily over my body, my face reflected in his Ray-Bans. And I was thinking of the paintings I'd seen of Christ, Da Vinci, Michelangelo. Scenes of the crucifixion of washboard absent gold model-like cheekbones. I suppose nobody looks as good as they do in their pictures, I thought as I stared down at Jesus. Middle-aged, dumpy, five-foot-two Jesus His bald spot glistening in the evening like Jesus Considerable stomach overhanging his bounce Shall we do this then? Sure, I'll get my...
so yeah that was that um thank you for listening to this episode um it's been really nice having poets um send in some of their stuff again uh, so big massive thank you to robert garnham erin bolands and diksha verenda uh, for their work which has all been amazing and thank you to you guys for listening and thank you to my co-producer sharice as well um we are probably going to put out another one of these next month um i am sorry that the audio quality is a bit naff and it's all a bit jumbled together um but yeah we're all we're all struggling through um so thanks for being there with us um and if you do i don't know i don't know what i was gonna say tell your friends all right bye Oh yeah, and uh, sorry, almost forgot. Big massive thank you to Hal Kelly uh, for recording that Jesus song uh, back in January this year with me, and also for making our our theme tune. So, all right, bye.